talking about the things that make your home service business go. Marketing, finance, systems, people. This is the Fight Club for Business podcast. Makes me that much stronger. Makes me work a little bit harder. Makes me that much wiser. Makes me wiser. Why, howdy, and good morning, and welcome to Fight Club, everyone. Welcome back to Fight Club. So excited. Awesome. So we have some funky hats with us today, and we're really excited because it's our one-year anniversary. Fight Club turns one today. So we've got got Sean back with us. I'm so excited. We have a lot of stuff packed in for today. Some really fun announcements later on that you guys may have seen some snippets about, maybe not. Um, We're super excited about it, but welcome back to Fight Club, everyone. And as you know, we are a group of self-employed industry experts here to help you fight for your business. We cover four areas of the business world. We've got marketing, systems, finances, and people or culture. And we're really here to have a casual conversation with everyone and Sean to kind of pick his brain on these four areas and help you find something to fight for your business this week. So we'll go around and do some quick introductions and then jump right into the fun stuff. So my name is Taylor Maroney. I co-own a power washing company in South Florida with my husband, and I've been working in marketing for about six years now, and I'm super excited to say welcome back to Fight Club and welcome back, Sean. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Awesome. Well, Sean, can you just give everyone a little brief rundown again about yourself and um, your company? Because I think we're talking about a different company this time than we talked about last time. So take a few minutes and kind of explain everything you've got. Yeah, absolutely. First off, congrats to you guys for one year. That's really, really awesome to see. It, look like, it looks like a, the Kentucky Derby here with everybody's cool hats. And uh, I dropped the ball completely and forgot mine. So I apologize for that. But uh, be honored to be here a second time. Love what you guys are doing. You're putting awesome content out there. So thank you for continuing to share this free stuff for everyone. Um, yeah, my name is Sean Adams. My, uh, my background is actually in the green industry. I spent about the first 12 years of my career uh, starting, scaling, and ultimately selling a, a landscape and lawn care company. And that's how I kind of cut my teeth in the entrepreneurial world. Um, but I think where we're going to transition some things today are a relatively new business for me. I'm the founder of a company called Leverage Life Management. And uh, really, the, the mission is to uh, make wealth creation possible for everybody. And um, what I mean by that is for far too long, ultra wealthy people, um, big banks, corporations have kind of hoarded all of the best kept secrets, the strategies, the tactics to building wealth and passing wealth on. And, um, you know, our goal is really to distill those things down. We spend a tremendous amount of time studying and implementing these strategies. And our goal is to make those uh, available and accessible to everyday people and especially small business owners, which is what we have a, a a sweet spots for. So that's, that's really where we, where we are now. Awesome. And well, congratulations. It's very exciting. Uh, my name is Megan Likes, and I am the founder of Bookkeeping Academy Online. I educate and empower small business owners to know their numbers so that they can live more financially awarding lives. And uh, so I think that kind of fits in, Sean, with kind of your mission of uh, finding financial freedom and um, yeah, building wealth in a way that makes sense at, for you and your family. Um, I also own Likes Accounting Company, so we you can outsource your accounting tasks that you don't like to my team. And I'm the co-owner of Jeff Likes Clean Windows and Gutters, my husband, Jeff, in Northern California. And I'm very happy to be here for our one-year birthday. Yay! <laughs> Oh, it's so fun. And I am Michelle Myers, co-owner of Pink Collars. You might be able to hear my husband in the background. He's upstairs interviewing people. So there's a little muffled noise today. Um, And we outsource your front and back office tasks. So if you need help with phones and emails and chats and all that customer care, you can absolutely hand it over to our company. And I am so grateful for Sean to be here as our next best awesome guest to start off our next season. Thanks so much for joining us, Sean, and welcome to Fight Club. Thank you. (laughs) And lastly, I'm Martha Woodward, and I am co-founder of Quality Driven Software. And I have online courses that are all about building happier workplaces. And in addition, I own a maid service in a neighboring state. So welcome to Fight Club. (laughs) Awesome. All right. 
Well, introductions are done and now we're putting Sean in the hot seat. So we're going to go ahead and start with marketing. Um, Sean, so when I was going through the new business through Leverage Life Management, the things that kind of stuck out to me since I do tend to talk on the marketing side of things was the first word that kind of popped up was networking. It was realistically, you're getting people connected to people within the wealth management world that we normally wouldn't be connected to as small business owners, because like you said, it was a very tight knit group, kind of the boys club kind of thing. Um, so as far as networking, it can really go a bunch of different ways. And there is a lot of network marketing that can be done locally. But what I want to talk about is as far as networking for you, what do you see as the true benefit of that? Whenever you do start with either your small business that you used to have before you sold it, but also transitioning into what you're doing now, what is that biggest benefit of network marketing and networking in general that you can explain kind of to some of our listeners today? Yeah, that's a great topic. I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, they, they talk about, you know, you're the, the average of the five people you surround yourself with, right? The same thing comes with the, the average of your income typically is around very similar to your network, the people you surround yourself with. So when I had my landscape company initially, um, I was stubborn and I really didn't have a large network because I was a young kid when I first got started. And so I didn't take the time and the effort to go seek out mentorship and try to find other people that were, were where I wanted to be. And once I kind of got over myself and realized that I don't have to reinvent the wheel, I can actually go and leverage other people's mistakes to skip them myself. Um, that's when the real the power started to kick in and some compounding growth happened because it was this unlocking of the secrets, right? And so I, I talked about this, this analogy uh, last week when I was on another show about this idea of having, uh, I was watching Tiger Woods actually when he was originally <laughs> playing and his son is a 12 year old kid, very, very great golfer, right? That's not by accident. Of course he has genes and he has, you know, inherited a lot of natural talent, but he also from day one had the greatest golfer of all time telling him exactly what to do. He didn't have to make 20 years worth of mistakes because that was already in place for him. And so with wealthy people, oftentimes that this know-how, these strategies, these principles get passed down at the dinner table in regular conversations, wherever they happen to be. And because of the sort of democratizing of the internet, those secrets are now available for everyone. We can connect with anybody we want in a millisecond over online, on LinkedIn, on social media, inside a mentorship group or anywhere else. And so once I started to realize that if I got in front of those people and actually had a genuine curiosity for understanding how they got to where they were, what are they doing? What are the strategies? How are they building these things? People were very open to discussing them. And that is where I think the real power of networking comes in. If, if you can add some value to that person's life, and also be a lifelong learner and try to distill down what they're doing, not because you're trying to you know, get a get rich quick scheme, but truly trying to understand what they do. Um, I, that's where the, it really unlocked a lot of powerful growth in, in my life and my businesses. That's awesome. So I heard a couple different things. One was how easy it is that you can literally start today. You mentioned a couple things like LinkedIn, Facebook. There's also local options that anyone can do in their local areas like Chamber of Commerce. But by rotary, I always expect that plug from you. So I knew you were going to do it. Can't help it. Can't help it. Um, but this small device in your hand can really be able to immediately connect you today. And that's something that eliminates that fear in a sense, because there's no reason not to. You have it with you 24 seven. You're constantly on Facebook or these other areas talking with friends and family. So why not take that opportunity? And like you said, be vulnerable, be a learner, um, constantly be wanting to educate yourself and set yourself with those goals to be able to give back to when you can. So I think that's, that's in a nutshell, what networking really is. It's allowing you to learn, but to also give back to others and to have that give and exchange while finding it within your local community, but also within the social world as well, because it's very prevalent and it's not something that's ever going to go away. That's something that I think I know I'm still learning myself, but um, it wasn't very much a fear of mine as well. And it's, it is overcoming that and making sure that you can do it and move forward. Um, so as far as getting connected um, in, you know, the, with your world, with the wealth management world, as far as having our clients be able, or, you know, listeners, I should say, be able to connect with you. Is that 
something that's easy? Is that something that, like you're saying, they can just kind of jump on Facebook and be able to reach out to you and start these conversations as well? Yeah. So Taylor, when it comes to to money, and I'm sure Megan can back this up, people start to clam up and they really start to get uncomfortable, right? Because it's an uncomfortable topic for anyone. And so I am the first person to focus on content and education over trying to be the loudest voice in a crowded room, right? So I'm not here. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not the person who's going to take your wealth and make a bunch of investments for you. We're simply here first and foremost as an educator. So you'll, you'll notice on our website and all of our social platforms, that's what uh, we like to focus on. I have a path that you really can't contact me until you sit through and watch some videos because it's a complex topic. The one strategy that we really focus on, it's complicated. And it's normally the first time someone's hearing about this. It involves life insurance and long time periods and contributions. There's a lot that goes into these things. And so it can be overwhelming for people. So the last thing I want somebody to do is see some talking head on a Zoom call and want to just feel like they're being forced into something. So the content side is really important where they can go on, they can watch things in in a simple manner as we try to describe them and figure out what pieces are applicable for them, what they can try to bring into their lives and see if it might be a fit because there is no one size fits all. And that's pretty much our frustration with big finance and the way that it's been. It's been, you sit down with an advisor, here are your three buckets, and you get the same regurgitated message that they put together for every W-2 employee, as well as, you know, uh, large corporations. And those aren't applicable for everyday business owners and, and high paid professionals. We need more flexibility. We need more control. And so our goal was really to distill and sort of reveal some of these secrets that are out there. And then if it makes sense for you, we're always happy to help you kind of map out what a strategy would look individually for you and help bring your idea together. But to me, it has to focus on the educational piece. And I know you guys are all great on that. You're, you're making content right now that shares the message of education first. Absolutely. We love our, we love educating. We love educating our viewers and I appreciate you being honest and open about it and being very straight up that it is an education process to get to you. And that's beautiful in itself because you're allowing individuals to learn prior to having to make decisions about their life that are very large decisions. So I appreciate that and appreciate your honesty. Thank you so much, Sean. Absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I, I'm like a little uncomfortable here today. Just a little. Well, first of all, my hat didn't come. So I'm feeling like I'm odd man out, but I made a pink hat on the fly. And Sean, I'm sorry you didn't get the memo, but we did send Sean a hat just for the record. We're very inclusive here on Bike Club. Um, Okay. So I'm feeling uncomfortable because in my former life, I was a financial analyst uh, for um, some some fee-only financial planners. um, And and I've had a hard time transitioning. I think this is going to be a really good conversation. I've had a hard time transitioning that former life to my existing life. So in my existing life, I talked to service-based, home service-based business owners every day. And I helped them understand their money. And in my former life, I talked to, just like you said, W-2 employees that worked for the university that had cushy jobs with cushy pensions, who you know had they had been able to accumulate savings, even if they didn't Mm -hmm. see it. Right. So when you say high paid professionals, and then you say business owners, I feel like there's a disconnect because there are very few business owners that I know that would consider themselves a high paid professional. And I always think about my husband as one, my husband makes a very healthy six figure salary in addition to a very profitable window cleaning business. And he would never self-identify as a high paid professional. So can you help me like translate Mm -hmm. that? Because I don't know, like maybe you're a listener out there and you're struggling to make payroll, or maybe you're not sure if you're profitable yet, or maybe you're like still recovering from the hell that was last year. So Sean, like (laughs) help us translate that gap, because I think this is your opportunity to help educate our listeners about, I think he's talking to you and yeah. I, I think I think this is a message that you maybe need to hear today. Um, and a lot of it comes with education and a lot of it comes with confidence. So, Sean, can you kind of address that for me? 
For sure. Megan, thank you for, for bringing that up too, because I do need to distinguish the two. So we look at those as kind of two separate buckets in terms of the message and the type of clients that we would work with. So when I say high paid professionals, the the um, sort of track that that lays is someone like a realtor, right? So they, they don't have a salary, they make commission. Um, a lot of uh, medical professionals, they may have uh, they may have a set salary as well, but they're making well over $200,000 a year. There are a lot of financial products that they cannot invest in because they make too much money. They have to do specific things. And so those are their own set of hurdles and a special kind of path that we have to set up on their end. The small business owner, the, the, the business owner at you know, midsize and, and everything in between, those are really, when we talk about that, it's, it's the, um, the inconsistency is really what exists because that's exactly what I, what I, when I felt the need to start thinking about retirement, putting money away, how I was going to save money. And I looked at the wealthy and I was thinking about how they're looking at these solutions. I sat down with financial advisors and I got, okay, you can stick your money in this bank account, this money market, or this 401k, so on and so forth. And both those options, this sort of qualified retirement account and this bank account to me were not very good options, but they laid those out as if those were the two avenues you could go. And they're saying, well, you just put money away every paycheck. And I'm like, what, what paycheck? Like I, I'm, I'm barely making it by here. You know, I'm, I've got six employees where we're trying to scale and like every dollar I have, I'm trying to reinvest, but I want to get the, the, the foundation in place. And so what those plans fail to realize is a lot of our businesses are seasonal. A lot of us get um, our payments on terms, right? So we might put an invoice in and we don't get paid for 30, 60, 90 days. Well, how are we fl- uh, kind of having cash flow? How are we fronting those expenses? And so small businesses don't have the flexibility of just making contributions every single paycheck. It doesn't exist for them. And they have, they might get a $50,000 check that they need to deposit. They might only have $1,000 that month. They need control. And traditional banks, traditional financial plans limit control on purpose because W2 employees want to be held in a box where they know they have to contribute to this thing so that they don't touch the cookie jar. And when they retire, they have enough money in there. Where with small businesses, they need full control to have that fluid flex in what they do. And so just to clarify, that's the kind of distinguishment that that I wanted to make. Does that make sense first? Awesome. Okay. So follow-up question. And sorry, I'm getting a little glitchy. So hopefully you can still hear me. And I'm not frozen in like an awkward facial position. Um, okay, good. Um, so follow-up question. What about the business owner sitting out there who's like, I don't need a retirement plan. I have a business. That is my retirement plan. I will sell that business and I will make a lot of money and I will sail off into the sunset with my honey and we will live happily ever after. Like, I'm sure you hear that all, or I hear that all the time. A hundred percent. Yeah. As someone who's actually sold a service business, I can tell you it's not the sunshine and rainbows that everybody thinks it is. And it's not a, uh, you show up and you put a price tag on and somebody gives you an offer and you walk away. It's a very long, complicated process. Uh, And you always get what you think it's worth, right? Yeah. You rarely do. You rarely do. You rarely do. You never do. You will never get what you think it's worth unless you do a lot of planning in advance. Yes. And there's a couple components to that. One is the emotional component. A lot of people tie their ego, their self-worth to the business. Everything, their blood, sweat, and tears went into this organization, this thing that they created out of thin air. And so when people start to put numbers on that and they start to look at everything in black and white, it's very painful to go through that emotional experience of saying like, oh, well, you know, you're only worth X amount of dollars, right? It feels like they're putting a value on what you've spent the last couple of decades creating. So it's very painful on that side. The other side is most people think like a like about themselves and also their business. And they don't think like an investor. An investor cares about returns. They care care about scale. They're looking for how they can automate and delegate. And as most of your audience knows, that's usually our weakest points as service business owners is how we delegate, how we get things off of our plate. Thank you, Michelle's automate, delegate, delete. Isn't that it? Is that Michelle's? Yeah. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. I'm so excited. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. And and that's a big piece of it. And so I went through the experience where I I thought that I was just going to sell this business. I had this growing asset, this beautiful thing that I could sell at any moment. And I had this experience where I landed myself in the hospital. This was years and years ago. And I was overworked, got dehydrated. Everything turned out to be fine, but I had to stay in the hospital for like four days. 
my entire business almost went bankrupt in that four-day period because everything was on me. Every decision, every system, every piece of delegation, even though I was having someone else handle the, the inner workings, I was still managing every single element of that. And so when you took out the key piece of the, the, the cog, it, it just imploded. And so that's when I started realizing that this is not really a sellable business. It's a job. So if someone's going to purchase this thing, there needs to be a way that someone could be plugged in. Is it really a system, a machine behind that? And so the value that comes into businesses are things like long-term contracts that you have with clients, things like automated systems, uh, things like documented processes of how things get done so that if an employee were to leave, if the manager or the, the owner happens to leave, there is a way to replicate what happens. Um, and there's a million books out there, the ebook and built to sell and all those sort of things, which I'm sure you guys have covered. Um, but the, the reality is the business likely isn't worth what you think it is if you're if you are the key to the whole mess, right? If you're working 80 hours a week to keep all the pieces going, it's not really a sellable asset because nobody wants that job. But if you work yourself into these systems that are replicable and that somebody else could, could work on and you have programs with, like what Martha has and you have systems in place, those are things that are actually, they, they have value to them. And that is actually what is something someone would be interested in purchasing uh, in terms of an investment. So just a little bit different methodology. Yeah, Totally. Uh, and that went a slightly different direction than I thought it was, but that was really helpful. Um, so if you heard that and you're thinking about selling your business as your retirement plan, uh, please rewind and listen to the past seven minutes of really good advice that Sean just shared. And also consider some other avenues. It's never too early. It's never too late to start thinking about retirement and building wealth and thinking like the wealthy. So that's what I heard you say, Sean, that was fantastic. I'm going to pass you over to Michelle uh, and she's going to talk to you about systems. And yeah. uh, which we already covered just a smidge of, and I'm so excited that you said that because we talk about that with business owners every single day. We say your CRM, your systems, your processes, this is really the valuation of your company. This is really what makes your company have some, some value. And to have to talk a business owner into actually putting every lead into their CRM, whether they work with them or not, it's funny that we're still having those discussions, but we are, but that's okay. <laughs> um, what can a business owner do to prepare themselves to value their company in terms of, I mean, you said systems to be able to scale, automate, and delegate. We talked about delegation, right? And then teaching people how to do it. How can a company maybe even scale or put something in, a, in their business that can help them grow so that they can be prepared more financially and more financially stable to make some of these other decisions? What else do you see out there that you're hearing? Yeah, that's a big question. And, and Megan, I went on a, on a tangent there talking about systems because it's a passion of mine. And a lot of people come to me with that, that logic of, oh, I'll just sell the company. And I have to kind of reverse engineer them and talk them off the ledge as to why we need to start a little sooner than that before we get Oh my to gosh. I, no, I love it. No apologies <laughs> needed. I have that conversation every day. And, I'm, and it's really hard because it's their baby and there's so much like emotional. So I'm glad to hear like, I'm, I'm just going to say next time, call Sean out. I'm just like, he'll back yeah. me up. Uh, yeah. So no, yeah. don't apologize. It was great. Right. So Michelle, to, I, I'll, I'll, the first thing that comes to mind is me thinking about, you know, everything in your business needs to be a, a system and a strategy, right? That includes that, that long-term exit. Do you want to sell this mm -hmm. business tomorrow? Do you want to sell this business in 20 years and five years and 10 years? And when we pick those end dates, that's when we can start to reverse engineer things, right? And so that's when we can start to see that if I want to get this business from $500,000 to a million dollars, okay, well, when we dissect it, it normally starts with the numbers side, right? So I'm sure mm -hmm. Megan unpacks a bit of this about knowing your numbers, right? Without us understanding how profit enters our business, we can't really scale. You were talking to Tom Reber a couple episodes ago about how you can't mm -hmm. add more sales is not going to fix a leaky bucket, right? You can't just keep yeah. dumping <laughs> on the top. It's not going to fix problems on the bottom, right? And so what investors look for, what people that are trying to acquire your business look for, is scalability with those services. So if normally people have a couple of different services that they offer and they'll, they'll nine times out of 10 have some sort of loss leader. So like in the landscape field, they'll go, oh, well, I, I mow lawns because I have to, I don't make any money at it, but it gets me in the door for X, Y, and Z, right? And there's this stigma, this stereotype that they've told themselves and the market has validated that it's not a profitable service. 
And so they keep it going just because they feel like it gets in the door with other things. And so I think it's about trying to be unemotional with your numbers to start and realizing that even those loss leading services or how, whatever you categorize them as, you need to dissect those as well because there are people out there that are making money mowing lawns, uh, that mm-hmm. are making money cleaning or whatever it is in your particular niche. And you've got to figure out how to charge more and how to make that profitable. Because when you go to sell a business or it gets evaluated, they're not going to gloss over some area that's losing 5% every single year. That's not going to happen. That's going to be the first thing they're going to attack. You might be doing great everywhere else, but if you don't have a well-rounded service offering, it's going to be problematic. And they'll maybe just look to cut it out altogether. So if you think that that is not a good idea to remove that service altogether, or maybe that service is part of a larger offering, you have to figure out how to make it profitable. That's where I would start. And there's a million resources to do that, you know, kind of getting your costs under control, going through things like uh, what Tom Reber does with with, um, charging more, understanding your gross Mm -hmm. numbers and those sort of things. I think recognizing where those leaks are first and trying to, to work on those pain points is a really, really useful strategy for your own peace of mind, but more importantly, what value you're adding. Because if you can iron those things out, now you're really building something of, of value that other people would be interested in. Can I interject? Okay, and then don't wait. <laughs> go ahead. Wait. Do that right now today. Maybe stop the recording. Go leave and do that right now. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, <laughs> don't wait until you're ready to sell to do the thing that Sean just said. That was yeah. Love it or list it. I feel like that with businesses sometimes. Love it or list. Yeah, love it or list it. That's good. Yeah. Sorry, okay, good. and then I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. I hope you're okay. I am a lazy investor and a lazy saver. And I really leverage apps and all kinds of these little tools on your phone, where if you go to Safeway and you spend $7.40, it takes like the 60 cents and it throws it in the savings account. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this. I also have a 22-year-old son who's graduated from college who is trying to teach me the methods of the Bitcoin. There's a ton of chatter out there about saving in a different way and maybe saving in a different kind of currency, Bitcoin. Do you have any resources for people that want to understand that better? Because I know for one, I am always on the phone with my 22-year-old son and he goes, mom, we'll deal with it when we see each other. He doesn't have any patience to teach me, but I hear a lot of chatter in a lot of the groups about people maybe investing in some of these different sort of things. Do you know of anywhere we can send people to kind of learn more or, or is there something that you like that's out there, an application or something that people can kind of start saving money on? Um, uh, leveragelife.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Start there for sure. Start there. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting into weeds about systems and I'm forgetting to talk about our own topic here, but ah, it's um, okay. <laughs> no, so, so, uh, full, full disclosure. I am in no means a, a Bitcoin expert. I really know very little about it. I've done some really superficial research. I'm not okay. invested in it myself. Um, I have a podcast myself called wealth secrets where we, uh, dissect some of these concepts and we talk a lot about alternative investing. We have all kinds okay. of things, people investing in rare whiskey and, and sports cars really? and Bitcoin and those sort of things. <laughs> We're working on a guest to actually help to okay. spill that a little bit because it is such a hot topic. And also there's, there's a lot of merit to it because of the craziness and chaoticness that's going yeah. on out there in the economy. Um, so I think there's value to that. But what I think doesn't change are are saving fundamentals, right? We have to have fundamental principles. And so just like we have systems with everything else in our business, there has to be a strategy for how we're going to approach saving money. And I'm in the same boat. I am lazy. I would literally outsource everything I possibly can (laughs) if I could. And so when it comes to those sort of things and you're using these apps like Acorn or whatever it is, and it puts a couple of cents in, great habits to get into. But where I like to start people is recognizing where the end dollar sits, because everything out there is how to get from being you know, a chaotic business into being profitable. But there's very little content about how to get from profitable to wealthy, like that next yeah. stage. How are we putting money away for the long term? And when I really spent the time to research and interview and dissect all of this, I started to find all these crazy alternatives that were not in the stock market. And one of those things was life insurance and these special types of accounts because they understood the level of control. And so what worries me about these relatively new investing strategies is they have no historical record, right? And so if if the old, if this currency is nine years old or whatever it is, 12 years old, 
to me, I don't think it's that it's not a good idea. It's that I can't make a decision on something that doesn't have a historical precedent to it. And so that's just my own being conservative. And so I want to make sure that I understand something that's worked for the past 120 years, because it's likely going to work for the next 100 years, right? And so that's the way that I look at things. And I want to make sure I have safety in what I do. And when I look at the stock market, when I look at people that do day trading and Bitcoin and all these sort of things, <laughs> they typically, if we look back to 2008, they were probably in high school or before that, right? So it's hard to rationalize this and say, oh, well, it's definitely going to work out. It's like, well, well show me where that's going to be. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I like to have the data to back that up. And so our goal is to really focus on a warehouse for your wealth, we call it, right? And so when we put our money in a bank account, we're getting 0.1% interest, right? And the argument with Bitcoin is that there, there's, a, there's a finite amount, right? So the value can continuously go up and appreciate, sure. which doesn't happen with the dollar. Um, but you know, when we transition people to go, okay, when you put your money in the bank account, you're getting no growth. Your other option is to stick it in the stock market where you're seeing the roller coaster ride every single yeah. day. You're Volatile. having a panic attack three times a quarter because your <laughs> your your yeah. your nest egg is going all over the place, and you're like, oh my god, I'm doing it right. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. That's what they told me. Yeah. You're freaking out. That's Don't because <laughs> it's, it, it happens all the time, right? And so. Yeah. When I recognized that I wanted a system for my savings, and I realized if I put money in these right buckets, like the wealthy mm -hmm. do, the policies that we create, now all of a sudden I got this peace of mind that it was automated. I stuck money in there, and now I'm not worried about like what's going to happen with Tesla stock. I'm not worried about the latest regulation in the banking world. Sure. I'm not worried about what you know type of law got passed about Bitcoin or some other kind of cryptocurrency. So yeah. for me, I like to have a safety net in place where my cash sits and then I have the peace of mind to deploy it. So the strategy we have is, you know, we, we have our after tax dollars, we put them in these policies. And then when I want to go and invest in something, I know I've got guaranteed growth where it is and it's not going anywhere. Now I can deploy that with confidence because even if that investment completely blows up or my business, I need it as a line of credit or something, I've got my safety net in place. It's safe. It's growing. So that's my approach. I like to be a little more conservative with almost like a sure thing. And then I can make more strategic decisions. Don't know if that answers your question, but that's roughly no, how it does. It. It's, it's perfect because I think a lot of people like me just don't know that you're trying to take us from that more volatile chaotic point to the wealthy point. And that's what I needed to hear. So that's perfect. Thank you. I love it. Thank you, Sean. I'm going to pass you off to Martha. <laughs> I had to shush my husband who walked in and saw me sitting here with his hat on and uh, started laughing. So, anyway. oh, love it. Um, so Sean, you know, I talk about people and as you were talking, I had a question when you ran your service business, did you educate your employees at all about money and finances? I know some people do. I didn't know if you at that point in time, you know, that was a passion for you on your education with your employees. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was actually towards the end of, of my business ownership in the landscape company where I was approaching selling it that I sort of deep dove into this as a passion project. Yeah. Um, so early on, I, I, I really wasn't talking with them very, very often about it. Uh, my main man, the, the operations guy that really ran, ran the cruise, he was a very conservative guy and, and was really, really good with money. And so, you know, he actually had a lot of just, and he was Hispanic. So every dollar that he spent went, or sorry, that he saved went to, you know, his, his family in Mexico. Like it was a very regimented, mm -hmm. I'm going to put this money away and be very safe with it. And so what he would always say to me is like, you know, how, how are these people in these houses that we're servicing that are $10 million homes? What are they doing? Like, what am I missing here? Right. And so he would always put the, the, the seed in my head about like helping him understand. So we would have very high level conversations. Um, but it, the, the truth of it was I never implemented some of these strategies to the employee level. Like I wish I did. I just learned about them a little later in the game. Um, but I can give you a really concrete example of how, what I wish I could have done for my employees now that I know about it um, and, and what we're helping people do now from a retention standpoint, and as well as just a building a better culture. And, and that's that there's this idea of something called an executive bonus plan or um, key person insurance. And I always think about this, this word of leverage, right? I name my company after it. Like where are the points that we're over leveraged where somebody has their thumb on us or we don't have full control? 
And then where are the points where we can apply leverage, where I can put money or put a system and I can start to buy back my time or you know, increase my wealth in some way? And so for most small, especially service businesses, there's typically a couple of key employees. Maybe it's an office manager, maybe it's a, a pink collars employee, maybe it's, you know, whatever it might be, or an operations manager, somebody who, if they were to leave the situation, this thing starts to implode, like almost like if the owner left. And so recruitment, having, you know, finding good laborers, all that sort of stuff is very, very difficult right now. And so we're all just throwing money at the issue. Oh, I'm going to pay them more. I'm going to pay them more, right? We all know that doesn't work out because it's more of a culture thing that we need to build and a long-term focus. And so one of the things you can do with these executive plans, and believe it or not, this is what big banks and corporations do all the time, yet it's never told to anybody else. And I don't know why, but it's just the way that it is. And so what you could do is, let's say you have a key employee who's an operations person and they run the whole show. And if they were to leave, you would be in some deep trouble. What we've helped people do is you can actually take a life insurance policy out on an employee, believe it or not, just like you could do on your spouse or yourself or a child or whatever you might want. And that policy, you would be the owner of, you would make the contributions, the payments into, but the employee would be the insured. So they would you know, go through underwriting and that sort of stuff. And there would be sort of a value uh, aligned to what that person means to your business. And if we talk really morbidly for a moment, if that person were to suddenly die or, or completely not be around anymore, you would actually be the beneficiary of that from a death benefit perspective. You would actually be able to capitalize on that because you're losing out on potential revenue and you have to replace that person. So they're an asset to your business and you can insure them. That's kind of the morbid side. The other side is we can actually, when we're funding money into one of these policies, it grows like a savings account. So the money that we put in just keeps growing, keeps getting guaranteed growth. We can use the money whenever we want. It's almost like a savings account just taken out on this person. We have access to it and we're contributing to it. So what a lot of corporations will do is they'll say, listen, we want you to stay for the long term, right? I don't want you to be here for three years and leave. So if you stay with us for the vesting period, and as the business owner, you get to pick what this is, five years, 20 years, whatever it is. You say, look, I'm funding money into this policy. If you stay with me until year 20, I'll actually give you like a pension plan out of this thing. So you're funding money into this. It's a savings mechanism for you that you can use whenever you want. It's accruing value. It's guaranteed. It's compounding the, the value in the account. And then you can say, okay, now that you're you know 60 years old, you're ready to retire. I'm going to pay you for the next 10 years, uh, your, your, your current salary as you retire, because the money has been kind of held up in there and it's had so much growth over time. And so now they get like a pension plan almost out of this. So I know a lot of small businesses are thinking, how could I possibly afford that? Right. It doesn't have to be their entire salary. It could be $5,000 a year. It could be, you know, $1,500 a year. The point is there are systems and strategies like this out there that can help build retention. And it doesn't just have to be about how much money I pay them today. It can be about, imagine as an employee thinking that my owner is investing in my future. Think about how powerful that is to hear uh, that we're thinking that way. And so th that's just a tactical example of some of the ways that the wealthy look at this and they go, employees are a huge problem. I need to make sure they stick around. This is something that you can employ and, and try to you know help make them stay around longer. Yeah. I, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that Jonathan Potashnik does this with his operations, uh, not manager, but... Um, Anyway, his key person that's still running City Turf, and I remember him talking about it, and I didn't really understand what he was talking about, but that makes perfect sense. And um, man, hmm. that that's really eye opening. And I think you know that's a that really is a unique thing to do, and it really is something that. Most mom and pop type businesses never think that they could do yeah. for that key person. So, yeah, I mean, I always think, you know, when you're talking about, could you be replaced? Blah, 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 and I'm thinking I could absolutely be replaced, but my, op my office manager, no. <laughs> <laughs> so the same thing, Martha. You could yeah. replace this any day of the week, but Tammy, nope, she's irreplaceable. Yeah. It doesn't implode without me, but her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, okay, that's really, really 
Interesting. And of course, the first time that I think, I mean, that I'm hearing it, like I say, I, I heard that in a conversation, but it was like, I don't really get what you're talking about. Um, but our listeners, you know, take note of that. That's really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, it doesn't have to be huge amounts of money, but it's about where the money sits. You know, a lot of people just have it in a bank accounts and they're just waiting around and going to use it, keep it on the sidelines. But while it's sitting in there, you're getting nothing, right? You're getting no growth. You've got opportunity cost issues going on there. So the point is when you think like a wealthy person does, they implement the strategy that gives them the most leverage. And if they can store that money somewhere else that gives them added benefits, it's not more money. It's the same dollars, just in a different location. That's where the, that's why, I, you know, we call it wealth secrets is because it's simply just a matter of shifting where it sits, not necessarily making an extra million dollars. Cause if we could all do that, that'd be great, but it's about optimizing what we're currently doing. Mm -hmm. I do feel like just my former financial analyst needs you to put the small disclaimer on there. The reason why that you're getting the bigger growth is because you're giving up liquidity, right? You're giving up some access to that principle, Right. So when we put in the, the high cash value programs that we set up, the policies that we set up, uh, they typically break even between years two and four. So when you put money into a policy, a portion of it goes to the expense of buying the life insurance, the death benefit, the coverage component. And the other portion goes into cash value, which is essentially the rollover or the accumulation of, of cash, like a savings account would be. You have access to that cash value day one. Now, in those first few years, you're not going to have access to the entire amount. So in other words, if you put $10,000 in year one, you'll probably have something like $8,000 available to you that you could use at any time. And you can leverage that out. And we don't have to get too, too in the weeds with all of that, but you can use that. Um, so there's full liquidity in there. It's just, it takes some time to pay off the expense of the uh, the insurance. And we can, yeah, we can explore any elements of that you want, but you definitely have the ability to use that money how you want and when you want. Uh, but there is obviously a proportion that goes to the expense of actually purchasing the, the asset or buying the coverage. Right. Awesome. Thanks for clarifying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'll pass it back to Tay or Michelle, quote of the week. I'm we can lost. do quote of the week or we can do homework. Let's do homework. Go ahead, okay. Tay. Let's do homework. Some What's homework. that? <laughs> and then I think after homework, we'll have an announcement and then quote of the week. I'm pretty sure that's oh, going to be how we're in. with the agenda. Boom. I, I love Normally it. I don't have the agenda. Normally that's not me. So that's <laughs> 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 um, But as far as the homework, um, we talked a lot in the marketing segment about networking and really taking that step today because you do have that easy access on any of your devices via computer, cell phone, iPad through those social network options. Um, so my challenge for you this week is to find someone in your area, local, and kind of a more, I guess, like an advanced challenge to it is find someone out of your industry. Look for someone that's like for us, we're pressure washing, but we network with individuals that are in lawn care and in window cleaning and in maid service. And we really find a lot of value in looking at how they approach their business and how we can adapt different pieces from what they're doing into our business to improve what we're doing on a daily basis. So there's a lot you can learn from other industries. So not only just take the networking step and really reach out to someone in your local area, but reach out to someone that's outside of your field, get out of your comfort zone and go some, go towards an, you know, an, an air conditioning company or, you know, plumbing, electrical, whatever you find is something that interests you, that you want to learn about, that you want to be a student of to that person. And then you can also give back to them by them being a student to you. That's my challenge for you this week. John, we're going to let you save your homework for the last so that you can like refine any of our assignments or add your own assignment. Um, for your finance homework this week, I think my favorite thing that I heard Sean say today was going from this transition of you finally have a profitable business. You've worked really hard to get your expenses in line with your income. You're feeling good about those extra cushions. You're paying yourself handsomely or correctly. And then how do we transition from profitable to wealthy? That next step that Sean mentioned that not a lot of people talk about. And I, I just, I loved that. That really resonated with me. With my husband and I, we aren't particularly financially motivated. So what we did was we did a financial wish list. So once we hit the profitable mark, then we started writing things that we wanted to do, like whether that's saving for retirement or 
giving more to certain charities or helping with our nieces and nephews education. Like we started making lists that were bigger than ourselves for what we wanted to keep working towards. And that really helped us transition into that. Like, I think that's the wealthy mindset because we have excess now. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what Sean's talking about is vehicles to use to help leverage that excess. And so for me, it started with thinking about the idea that I had excess and then giving it a job instead of letting it go towards lifestyle or towards, you know, anything that doesn't align with my personal values, my personal core values and my husband's core values. So I encourage you this week to just write a wish list of if you didn't have to stress about it, what are some things you'd like to do with your money? And for us, that was huge. That was a game changer. I remember the car ride and Jeff was driving and I was taking notes. And as we started building more profitable business, we just started ticking off those wish list items. And it's been huge because now we know what we're working towards because we're not super financially motivated. So I'm going to encourage you this week to start a financial wish list and then know that Sean can help you maybe achieve that wish list. But first, I think we got to start with we're profitable. Now, how do we start thinking like we're wealthy without spending it? We're not spending it. We're just dreaming so far. Step one. <laughs> That's so good. I want to do that homework this week. That's going to be my homework. I yeah, love that. Wish list. <laughs> and for your systems homework, um, I loved what Sean said about making sure that you're automating and delegating. You guys have heard this from me before. And I am actually... Um, Eating my own messaging this past week. I don't know if anybody knows, but we have hired a, an upper level manager here at Pink Collars. And so I am being forced to take everything out of my brain and put it in a way that is teaching this other individual. And so I'm really excited about Loom. I'm addicted to it. Doug says I'm walking around like looming everything. So I don't know if that would be helpful for everybody to check out Loom and to try to record some of the things that are in your mind as a business owner and get them in a really easy, digestible uh, thing. I tackled a massive one this morning for our business, which is Ring Central, and I made like an hour and a half of videos already this morning. So I have going to completely move that off of my plate now, and I am super excited. So I'm going to have everybody check that out. How to delegate those things out of your mind with a really simple free tool called Loom. So we're going to do that. <laughs> Love that, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And my homework is going to be, I think it's too big of an ask to say, go set up this, you know, retirement uh, investment account for your key people. But it's not too big of an ask to start to consider that as a possibility. What could you do? So think of your key people. Think of the time period that you would want for them to be vested, whether it's three, five years, eight years. And then how could you start putting money towards their future? And we have a great resource right here on this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's. I just want you to start thinking that way. And I thought that was an interesting conversation. So thank you, Sean. Thank you, Martha. Yeah, that, I think that's a great place to start. And it's very overwhelming to think about. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel here and build a, a giant elaborate plan this weekend or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's recognition. I always talk about like the, the org chart, recognizing the spots where we were over leveraged. Um, but I would, I would first and foremost, just think about, um, I always think about cash location, like where is it going to sit? And if it's currently sitting in a bank account, like where are you over leveraged there? Well, you're not really getting any growth. So you're kind of losing out on that side. If it's sitting in the stock market, well, where are you over leveraged there? It could go down. I could lose it. I don't have access, right? So just pros and cons lists of different locations where your cash is sitting will help you kind of crystallize where the gaps are and what would be ideal. Um, and then I think, you know, same thing on, on the, the business side itself, like, like Martha said, recognizing those key employees, what would happen worst case scenario? Like, how can we start to build some hedges against that? And just mind mapping some of that stuff out, I think would be really helpful uh, to get a little clarity on that. And uh, yeah, I never think that people should just, you know, come invest in this giant, um, this giant system as a whole. But I also think as much as we talk about delegation, 
you can't delegate responsibility for your financial future to somebody else. Like I have a huge issue with that. That's why financial advisors, I are normally, I, I, I go against what they say because of that. People don't feel like they don't understand money. So they put it on somebody else to make them rich. And it's like, yes, that you can have help along the way, but you have to know one, what you want. And you have to have a baseline understanding of how these components work. When you say you put money in an IRA, do you actually know what that means? Like, do you know what the fees are? Do you know what you're giving up? Most people live very blind to a lot of those things. So I would recognize where you're over leveraged and over leveraged also means where you don't understand something and just make some list of what those look like. So you can do a little bit of research and help understand kind of where the cash is sitting in those different spots and where it might be able to be optimized. Mm, sounds good. All right. Okay, quote of the week. Wait, announcement. Oh, Shell. I'm so bad. Oh, we have an announcement. A big one. Ooh. A massive one, in fact. What? Massive announcement. The reason why we're wearing the hats, too. I was gonna say, there's been so many little hints. We've got hats. Michelle said season two earlier. There's been hints being dropped all day. We have a podcast, everyone. I'm so excited. It's official. It took us a year, but we have one. And we've got all of the shows from season one backdated on there. So you can be able to go back, listen to your favorites via audio. You also can always go to YouTube or our Facebook page to watch the live videos if you'd like that still, if that's more your option. Um, But we wanted to make it easily accessible for everyone via audio format. So we're going to go ahead and drop the link. So feel free to describe subscribe, excuse me, in the com from the comments below there. It's going to be down in the link. And Sean, you got to kick off season two. So we're Yay. super excited. Yay. I'm honored. Thank you so much, guys. It was a blast. <laughs> there there are 48 episodes that we dropped from season one. So if you miss Fight Club and you want to hang out with us for two full days, 48 hours, <laughs> it's on that link. 48 hours of recordings of how to take your business to the next level and fight for your business. And this is season two, episode one. Welcome to Fight Club. A legit podcast. (laughs) So exciting. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Okay, and this week's quote of the week to kick us out is um, from our friend, and I think he's a funny man, Chris Rock. He says, wealth is not about having a lot of money. It's about having a lot of options. (laughs) So I think that's really good, good way to see it. Thank you all for joining us today on Fight Club, and we can't wait to see you again. Same time, same place next week. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day and keep fighting. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Okay. Connect with Fight Club for Business. Join our Facebook group where we have weekly homework, accountabilities, and an awesome community to help you fight for your business. Facebook.com slash Fight Club for, as in the number four, business. Fight Club for Business.